My name for publishing is William Preston. Nobody calls me William, but that's my that's my publishing name. For me, reading is a way to expand our empathy. I'm not original in saying that. Bill Preston, literary science fictionist. The first episode with Bill Preston started at episode 144. Go to the show archive to catch up. If you want to find Bill's work online, search for author William Preston and you will find his books. So yeah, what do you want to read? I'm going to read from first of the old man stories that uh, Asimov's published helping them take the old man down. I'm going to read the, the very first section, then I'm going to uh, jump ahead just because it's uh, it connects to it quite well. Several sections later, another chapter. Old man stories are, they, they springboard from Doc Savage oh. and other just superhero oh. stuff. Oh, okay, there we are. But Doc Savage was certainly initially who I had in mind, even though it's not, that's not who the character is. It's much more an idea about, well, what if that kind of, and this is not an original idea, and many people have played with this, you know, what if superheroes were real, essentially? And I wrote this thinking, you know, what if superheroes are real, and, you know, why then do terrible things still happen? Which is also a theological question. It's the, it's the, the question of theodicy. Why does God allow evil, right? And so I think that's a question that, that fiction explores well. Doesn't have an answer for, but it's a question fiction explores well. So I've written four of these stories. There's a fifth one that I have in draft form that will wrap up to some extent the entire narrative. When I wrote the first one, I did not know there would be subsequent stories, which, but it did, the stories became uh, actually kind of popular. This was from the March 2010 uh, issue of Asimov's Science Fiction. And the story is called Helping Them Take the Old Man Down. I married, late and surprised. I hadn't heard from the old man for about two years. I knew his assistants went through fallow periods, only to be suddenly summoned back into service. Having heard nothing formal, I considered myself retired rather than dismissed. But in truth, I didn't know what to think. No contact was possible between me and my former peers, and to have simply shown up at the offices unbidden out of the question. From my own time with the old man, I sensed some people simply aged out of service. Others died, of course, and not only because the old man's career had spanned decades. For most of those inactive months, I believed he kept me in mind, yet didn't need my specific talents. Perhaps what he termed the work had progressed, though the world seemed just as fraught with troubles, even as the Cold War 
staggered to its undramatic close. Stories still surface about him, not front-page matter as had been the case mid-century. His exploits faded behind the conjoined twins of popular news, terrorism, and celebrity, which seemed to me trained in the study of human cultures only exaggerated aspects of the same mortal vanities, the need to make a mark, the belief that you alone matter. What allowed me to marry, in fact, was a growing sense that I'd invented the old man. Some three dozen adventures I'd had with him over ten years, but often I'd not known my own purposes, and sometimes the center of action proved to be several thousand miles from where I and other assistants were engaged. During that decade, the world appeared to be a gigantic machine, every human action tied to another and watched over by the old man, who seemed always intent on saving the planet, or some part of it, from destruction. The distance of years gave me a different impression. Everything I had done was either tangential or utterly beside the point. On quiet, solitary nights, scenes from that life came to me vividly. The rest of the time, real life obtruded. I had, after all, no artifacts from those events except, on soggy days, a left leg that ached, and quarterly dividends from several South American mining companies. And so, love, personal intimacy, a household, these seemed saving graces for Claire and me if for no one else. When the sun swelled and drowned the inner planets, or when our fragile world with all its weapons went under in its own fires, there would at least have been our simple joys for a little while under the sky. The morning after the wedding, Claire and I went through the presence of my Brooklyn apartment. Seated on the sofa, my legs stretched onto the coffee table, I jotted down each gift and giver as she reported them. She knelt on the other side of the room among the boxes. No name on this one, she said. Once, when my life bubbled with mysteries, that would have caught my interest, but I merely said, hmm, and waited for her to say more. The wrapping paper was a flat silver. She tore it off and held it up so I could see a brown box. The lid unsecured, she opened it and peered inside. What are you? she asked. What? She pinched her brows together, then plucked out a bent piece of metal about the size of a cheese knife. Claire twisted her hand to change the angle. It's signed, she said, or inscribed. What's it say? Come see, my legs are numb. I made a face and grunted to standing. I thought to say something about being old and hating to move, but the decade gap in our ages didn't seem like the best subject on such a day. She held it out to me. I saw what she meant. A cryptic signature inscribed into the metal. Above it, the word believe, stamped in block letters, followed by a date from ten years before. My eyes rolled upward to track the day, and I remembered the fallacious alien invasion, meant to conceal a program of human trafficking, and the craft we'd blown to blazes, mostly for our own satisfaction, in the desert outside Tempe. Believe, indeed. My wife asked, Why are you smiling? And from a little later, I ducked into a used bookstore to get out of a pounding late afternoon rain that kept whipping under my frail umbrella, not wanting to appear merely mercenary in my use of the shop, and certainly open to the possibility of a purchase, I strode with feigned assuredness to the rear of the store. 
There, the smell of rain seemed to have gathered, so that the farther I went in, the closer I seemed to get to the source of the storm. I passed between rows of shelves that reached nearly to the ceiling, then turned toward a back corner. There he stood. The old man. Raindrops marking his steel-gray trench coat, his bulk and stillness mastering the tight space. He held a small book open in one hand. Hello, Lanny, he said without looking up, possibly without moving his mouth. That famed ability to throw his voice, did he practice it even when he wasn't about the business of confounding some villain? Sir, I said, even after all our time together. Then, shutting his book, he gave me his full attention. Ever read any Anselm? I don't believe so. He waved the little volume before slipping it back into his space in the shelves. To some people, the unseen world is just as present as the visible world. He passed me a faint grin. One needs reminding. I wondered whether he meant only himself, since he'd been doing the reading, or whether he meant me, any of us who neglect the life of the spirit. In my silence, I heard the rain on the street. The door to the shop was open all this time, and I felt that the visible world was full enough. The old man asked after my wife, told me to take care, and then left. I forgot to thank him for his gift. I wondered if the volume he'd held contained a message, but then I couldn't find the spot where he'd replaced it, and perhaps it hadn't been a volume of Anselm in any case, but a writer referring to Anselm, or someone who reminded him of Anselm. The old man's thinking had always been a mystery. I thought of that shop a decade later, when the towers came down. Living hours from the city, I watched from the safety of my sofa as the collapse pushed a gray cloud of debris down that very street. I read later that the shop had been one into which people had fled from the terror. How sharply that connection resurfaced when the authorities came to me for help in tracking down the old man. Reading is a way to to expand our empathy. I'm not original in saying that, but it, it lets us into the lives of others, assuming that the, the writer comes from a place of, of empathy and is trying to expand her his own sense of the world. And so to read broadly, to read things that we don't expect, to read outside um, the things that uh, we know will give us pleasure, but to read things that are really kind of, um, that unsettle us, and to slow down when things unsettle us, and to take our time, not to, I always tell my students this, if something is confusing or confounding in a story, that's the place you're supposed to stop and be confused and confounded. You know, the writer knows that that's where stuff gets dense, that that's where, that that's where there's a real question at the center of it. And so, Bring your questions to your reading. Uh, understand that writers aren't typically trying to provide you with answers. They're just trying to provide you with a way into what the right questions are. I often think of Annie Dillard, who's one of my favorite writers, and she said it's like we all wake up here and we ask ourselves, you know, who am I, how did I get here, and what am I supposed to do? And I think that's, that, that's the start of all good reasoning, all moral reasoning, is... Uh, yeah, kind of like Spock on Star Trek. Like, what's this planet? What's happening here? What are the facts? And once we know some facts, we can ask some the, the salient questions. But 
knowing what the right questions are, that's the real, uh, that's the real kind of moral challenge quite often. All the old man stories and some of my other fiction, the stuff that's been published at Asimov's, is available through Amazon. You can get Kindle versions of these stories. Most of my stories have been published in uh, Asimov science fiction. Some have been published elsewhere. I've also had poetry published. Some of my fiction, all of the so far published stories about the old man, my kind of pulp figure who I've written about uh, a career over the decades, those are available via Amazon. Well, some other stories are there on Amazon, other things I've had published. Go check out the show notes. In there you will find links to Bill Preston's author website and how to find his books and his Twitter. And there's also a essay, Doc Savage Lives Again in William Preston's Old Man Cycle, written by Jay O'Connell. You'll also find links to previous Sci-Fi Thoughts episodes about the Doc Savage formula with Tony Jones. Where are the show notes? The show notes are in your podcast player, or if you use your computer, it'll be at the same website where you downloaded this MP3. This is the last episode of the series of Bill Preston, literary science fictionist. If you're like my friend Steve Gurr and you forgot to catch the beginning of the series, the series started in episode 144. And you can find the show archive by going to your favorite search engine and type it in Lancer Sci-Fi Thoughts Bill Preston. <laughs>